the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Hannah Giles, CEO of Project Veritas. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher. Soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Friday, August 18th in the year 2023. We have a fantastic guest on tonight. This is the new CEO of Project Veritas. You're going to get to hear her story. And with this current change, I think you're going to find it's an amazingly new, great new leadership that they've established at Project Veritas. A lot of stories broke today on regarding James O'Keefe, one in particular in Breitbart News. Things were not all as they seemed, and definitely as it appears, the story that he has been pushing out there in front of everybody is not the real truth. Now, Hannah is very respectful as a CEO. She doesn't get into that a lot. I will get into that in just a moment just to give you some context, at least from the things that have now been posted out here. And I, I know this is going to, those are one of these things that, Unfortunately, a lot of people get very defensive of. I've, and I know now that there's a lot of conservative media that don't want to talk about this change in leadership because they want to be very loyal to James O'Keefe. And unfortunately, we have to be able to be, be able to separate the stories that are done from the, sometimes the events that occur. And there is a tremendous amount of legal liability now in the wake of James O'Keefe leaving Project Veritas that has left Project Ter- Veritas partially crippled. And that is a horrible thing to do for an organization that has had such incredible impact. And so the board of directors has selected Hannah Giles, who I've come to know, and she's just an amazing fighter and truly somebody who I think can lead Project Veritas to a whole new level and really open up new levels of investigative journalism, which we have to have. If we don't have avenues like Project Veritas, we are not going to be able to succeed. So there's a lot of interesting things I think you'll find in this interview tonight as you get to know Hannah. And and with that, I think it's an amazing way to look at what Project Veritas is going and to re-energize the brand and the excitement of what it really is as a true patriot-based, citizens-based investigative journalist platform. And she brings a lot to the fight. Now, Patriots, before we begin tonight, One of the things you have to be aware of in this current climate is we are in the process of a massive global currency shift. With that, we are seeing the rise of BRICS nations, and they're leading very quickly into their meeting very soon in South Africa, which will be establishing the BRICS nations currency, which is a gold-backed and resource-backed currency. That means our investments in this country that are paper-backed are at risk. Now, there's no way of knowing the rate at which this will affect the dollar, but we can be assured that it will affect the dollar and it won't be positive. The new BRICS Nation dollar or the BRICS Nation currency is based on one one BRICS Nation coin to 55 U.S. dollars. That's going to massively impact imports, which in in the way of things go, that will also affect the valuation of the dollar on a global level. That affects your 401ks. That affects your IRAs. So... 
being that I'm not an investment advisor, I don't wear a white coat and I don't play a doctor on TV, but I do know that the folks at Birch Gold know what they're doing. And I would highly recommend that you give them a, a shout out to figure out if it's something that's right for you. So all you have to do is text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. That's BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. And with that, you will receive a free information kit where you can make some assessments and get educated on the benefits of a precious metals-backed IRA or 401k in a tax-sheltered investment or retirement account. So, again, check it out. These folks are, they have top ratings. They are, people are just rave about their reviews of how of how they work with them. And I've, I'm very happy to say that they're a great part of this channel and things going forward. And they've served Bars Nation amazingly well. So reach out to to Birch Gold. All you have to do is text 989898, and away you go. You got a free information packet, and you can make your decision from there. It's worth your time, so do it today. And I bet all these phones are, like, running off right now. You're all just punching it out. All right, let me, let me go over a couple of things here. First of all, I want to go over two headlines before we get into tonight's interview. One is in The Nation. The headline reads, exclusive, James O'Keefe is under investigation for looting Project Veritas. Prosecutors in Wester County, New York, are pursuing charges against the Wright's premier gotcha video scammer and scamming his own donors. Now, this is not a good look for James O'Keefe. In the first paragraph, James O'Keefe, the founder and, until this past February, CEO of the right-wing nonprofit Project Veritas, is currently under investigation by the Westchester County District Attorney's Office. While the exact nature of the investigation is not public, the timing would suggest that it relates to O'Keefe's alleged financial improprieties during his tenure as the group's chairman and CEO. And the article goes on. Today was an article in Breitbart News. So now you have The Nation, which is pretty liberal, Breitbart, which is fairly conservative, and this headline reads, Exclusive, the story behind the layoffs, chaos at Project Veritas. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Hannah Giles has had to release a number of people because of the financial hamstrings that were put on the organization since James O'Keefe left. Not a good look for James. Just have to be blunt. He's also left a wake of legal liabilities and massive lawsuits that are coming against him that Project Veritas has continued to defend. The decision to have him relieved is a long-involved story that is well-documented now on the Project Veritas website. So if you head over to the Project Veritas, you go over to projectveritas.com, you'll find the story, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas Board of Directors, Chronology of Events. And what becomes fairly clear is there was an, an um, quite a bit of financial impropriety going on here, as well as not, I would say, behavior of a CEO that was not conducive to a good work environment. And I think there's quite a bit to that story. To the, to the absolute credit of Hannah Giles, the new CEO, this is not something she discusses. This is research that I've been doing, and I think it's worth bringing up because we have to look at change in leadership appropriately. I know that a lot of people are very, uh, I, I hate to say this, but they're in love with James and the way he does things. Unfortunately, if there's ill propriety going on and a board of directors has to step in to, ask, to save an organization and have people step down, then obviously things aren't all like they seem. As they say, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. 
The other issue is there's been, I know James has been pretty vocal about trying to make it sound like he was inappropriately handled, that there was an infiltration or buyout by Pfizer. That is an absolute lie, and I really condemn James for doing that because what he has done is he's managed to push donors away by suggesting that Project Veritas now was purchased, bought out, or influenced by the Pfizer story. That's an absolute lie. It, and if, to even underline that, if you've been aware of the recent story that came out with Ashley Biden, this was under James O'Keefe's tenure. He held that story back and did not release it. The person that released that story was Hannah Giles. So I just want to kind of paint a picture here. These are my positions, my opinions on this, and I'm I am a become a really big supporter of Hannah and her vision as I've gotten to know her. Because what we need is just clean, honest journalism that can dig deep, dig hard, and expose the truth no matter who is in power. And what we don't need is backdoor backmeddlings and things that cause chaos within an organization and most critically put an organization at risk. And this is unfortunately the situation we're, we're looking at now is something that is from the movement of America and the, the citizen journalist movement. Project Veritas is truly something that has to be valued. It's, it's, it's a unique asset and it's a unique operation. And unfortunately, right now, they are in a, a lot of, of financial challenges, which that's the result, sadly, of poor leadership at the end of the day. And that's where Hannah comes in. So I'm anxious for you to meet Hannah. She's, she's a fantastic voice. And I think that you're going to be inspired by someone who has such amazing fighting spirit in her and the vision and direction she wants to take Project Veritas. Now, that said, one last thing. We also know that we are dealing, as we deal with all of this corruption in our world, we are dealing with a number of crazy psychopaths. I don't know if you've noticed what's happened in Maui lately, but that wasn't just by accident. So with that, they know, these psychopaths know, that food it can be a weapon system. And for these states of crisis like we're in, we are seeing fires all over the place, which just ironically happened to be the cover of a 2000, I think it was a 2017 or 2018 Time magazine cover of talking about the great future of climate change and how it was going to burn the world down. Or maybe it was post-COVID, one of the two. Anyway, point being that you need to be prepared. And part of a good preparation plan is to make sure you've got emergency food supplies on hand, not just for yourself, but for your neighborhood and your neighbors. So head on over to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. They are a great, that's my Patriot Supply. They are a great company. They have three-month food supply systems on sale right now, 25% off which is as much as they've ever put them on sale. So it's really a great time to stock up and get their systems in place. These food systems are nutritious, 2,000 calories a day. They are they have great flavor in what they have, and they have shelf lives of about 25 years. So it's something you can have there. Know that it's a peace of mind, and if you need it, grab it and go. So that's the most important thing. So again, head on over to preparewithbards.com. Take advantage of the great sales on the three-month emergency food kit. You want to get one for every member of your family. You want to check it out today, and that's preparewithbards.com, and that's My Patriot Supply. All right, Patriots. Now, with all of that said, I want to introduce you to Hannah Giles. Since James left, we've put out 26 stories 
this year. So, and we've had, you know, major national impact. We, our story last week, we had the Committee on Homeland Security launch an investigation off of our uh, story on Andrew Lawrence Strait and Cherokee Federal. Can you give us kind of an overview of that and just highlight some of the impact of that? Sure. So we did the the Two Young series was was done in the spring. And we had, I think we went to almost like 50 doctor's offices and we had investigative journalists asking doctors. Um, they were posing as parents or um, custodians of children saying, um, how young is too young to give my child gender modification hormones? And many of the doctors said, oh, well, we could start at eight years old. So that story um, really changed things in Texas. The Texas legislature um, was um, talking about this and and voting on these types of therapies based off of our reporting. And then um, there's been several investigations into Mayor Adams and the the migrant housing crisis and kind of the insider trading that he's been doing over that. And... um, you know, just many, many, many other stories that Ashley Biden's story and then the this one into Cherokee Federal, um, which is funneling hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for uh, the unaccompanied minors. And, you know, they admit they have no qualifications to actually be getting those contracts as a no bid contract. So that story is called The Washington Way. All of our all of all of these stories are on our website. If you go to projectveritas.com. Patriots. I'm really excited today. This is an interview that is extremely special to me for what it represents in so many levels. Today, we're going to be talking to Hannah Giles, who's the new CEO of Project Veritas, and it's a real honor. I've come to know her a bit, super impressed with this new leadership change, and I really am inspired by her tenacity. And when you get to know her background, too, I'm telling you, this is really, literally a woman who is a fighter, a mother, a Christian, everything that you would want to lead the type of organization that Project Veritas is. So, Hannah, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. All right. So we got to dig into a little bit about who you are, because you've been that kind of silent force behind the scenes of this whole thing in a certain way. And now you're in the big chair. So talk to us a little bit about your background. So I am a um, five foot one Valente Brothers jujitsu black belt. My sister and I are the first female black belts in that um, form of jujitsu, and we um, were doing it since we were children. So I'm I'm petite, and I'm capable of taking on monsters, and not only surviving monsters, but submitting monsters and walking away um, unscathed. So when um, the opportunity to take over at Project Veritas, Veritas arose, I um, I stepped up to the task and I've been looking and approaching this just as I would a jujitsu fight. That is awesome. So you've actually fought MMA, right? No, I don't. I don't feet. I do not fight competitively. Um, the Valente brothers down in Miami, um, you know, I train with Hoist Gracie, Hoyler Gracie and Elio Gracie, who brought jujitsu from Brazil into the United States, um, train with them. And their, their form is like pure self-defense, hand-to-hand combat, um, surviving tactical situations, um, escaping kidnaps. 
that sort of thing. It's a full, full spectrum self-defense, but we did not do any professional uh, competitions. Okay. Well, it gives you the footing you're going to need for the tasks ahead. Let's talk a little bit about this stepping into this new role you had at Project Veritas. Project Veritas obviously has a tremendous reputation of doing some pretty uh, groundbreaking stories. Where were you with that and where are you going to be taking the organization? Yeah, so a little bit of my background and why why me for Project Veritas. Um, I think it's important to start kind of at the beginning chronologically, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So um, I met James O'Keefe on Facebook back in 2008. He reached out to me. Um, I guess we had a few mutual friends in common on Facebook, but he actually reached out to me and said, you're pretty cute. Too bad you live in Florida. And um, normally I would just, anytime like a guy hit on me on Facebook, I would do an automatic delete. But with James, that his profile picture was very odd. It was some sort of like, I don't know, cartoon or something. And I just happened to click on it. And his status was just got banned from YouTube. And so rather than delete James's um, advance and just delete him from my memory altogether, I said, why did you get banned from YouTube? And that began a discussion of what he'd been doing with Lila Rose in um, Planned Parenthood. And he'd been doing these undercover videos into Planned Parenthood with Lila Rose, asking if they would abort black babies specifically, or take money to specifically abort black babies. Um, so James and I had some back and forth there, and then the conversation tapered off. And I spent the rest of that year and into the next year um, researching and writing about ACORN, the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now. And ACORN was the community organization that got President Obama elected in 2008. And it was also, they had a housing um, branch, which was by and large responsible for the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008. So I had been um, just diving in deep there. Um, I wanted to be uh, an investigative journalist as my second job option. My first, my first choice for a career was an operations officer for the CIA. Summer of 2009, I lived in Washington, D.C., and I was um, a journalism intern there. And my mom was begging me that summer not to join the CIA um, and to really give journalism a shot. And we had this back and forth fight constantly about it. And she suggested, why don't you go do, why don't you combine the two and do a little investigation into that organization you're so obsessed with, ACORN? And I said, mom, I, I could never do that. I'm an intern, I'm a nobody. I'll never have a chance to, to expose that group. And um, sure enough, I lived three blocks away from Acorn Housing National Headquarters. While I, the first time I discovered the National Headquarters, um, I was completely geeking out, but I still had this thought in my head of, you know, all that's interesting, oh well. And um, on that same day, the first day that I saw Acorn Housing National Headquarters, um, a few blocks away, I encountered the worst uh, multi-generational depravity I'd ever witnessed. And there were old people 
um, homeless laying on the streets, bombed out heroin dens and crack houses all around them. There are women um, prostituting themselves and kids waiting in line for drugs. And all this was right outside of Acorn Housing's national headquarters, right? And they're supposed to be lifting poor black and brown people up out of poverty and putting in them into nice, safe homes. And, and here, here was the worst instance of multi-generational depravity I'd ever witnessed right in Acorn's neighborhood, an Acorn stronghold. And I thought, well, that's BS. This should be the best neighborhood. This should be the best example of their programs. And, and I felt like internally, I felt like the Lord saying like, if my people were here, if the church was here, this neighborhood wouldn't look like this. And, you know, ACORN is, it comes from um, communist background. It's communist thought philosophy, communist, like the weight of the poor. I mean, it, it is a communist organization. They, they harness the power of, of poor black and brown people um, to elect rich white Democrats. I mean, that's, that, that's what they did. And um, so it was in that moment that everything kind of came together and it was like a lightning bolt hit my brain um expose acorn show the world um that they aren't who they say they are expose the false narrative go undercover as a prostitute just like all of the prostitutes you're looking at right now and ask them if they will give you a home loan um say that you don't have a bank account you've never had legitimate income and that you're going to uh, see what they'll do on the on the mortgage process and what will they uh, will they commit fraud in that process? And then tell them that you promise to pay the bills for the mortgage um, by running an underage brothel with with girls you've smuggled in from El Salvador, right? So it's how it, like get it as illegal and as outrageous um, and and um, unethical as possible. And um, that was that was my plan. I was going to investigate Acorn. I worked on it. I stewed on it for weeks. I developed it out um, by myself. And one day on a run with a friend, I told my friend this story and what I was going to do and my plan for it. And he said, Hannah, if you're going to do that, you need to make sure that you really record it well inside those offices. And um, I have a guy that I know. His name is James O'Keefe. And he has hidden cameras. He could go in with you and you guys could record what happens inside those offices. And I hadn't, it had clicked in my mind that I'd already known James or that we had had that interaction the year prior. And when I went into Facebook to go look him up, that's when I found, oh, I, I actually do know, know this guy. We've, we've spoken before. And I pitched James the idea um, for the ACORN investigation and he said, when can you do it? We set a date on the calendar and we met in person the day before we went undercover into our first Acorn housing office. And, um, and that is the beginning of Project Veritas. After, um, after we gathered evidence across the country of Acorn housing offices being willing and able to facilitate underage prostitution in their uh, local communities, it hit the news via uh, Breitbart's big government website and Glenn Beck and Fox News. And um, and James launched Project Veritas off of that story. And so were you part of Project Veritas from that point forward? No, I've never. Um, 
James launched Project Veritas off the Acorn story. And, um, and there was, you know, he had several other stories, um, that occurred like the NPR story. He did that one. And then Project Veritas launched officially, I think as a corporation after that, after the NPR story. Um, but I've never worked for James. I've never worked for Project Veritas, um, up until, uh, this year. So what were you doing then in the, in the meantime? Cause that's quite a span then. And I, and I, I had really thought you were like behind the scenes running the whole thing the whole time. No, no, sir. No. So I, um, after, after the acorn investigation, I started a nonprofit called the American Phoenix foundation. And I really wanted to focus in and zero in on, on replicating undercover journalists um, my husband and I, the first time we ever met, um, cause he was an undercover journalist also the first time we ever met, he asked me a question and he said, do you think we'll ever be as corrupt as the people that are investigating us? And my answer to him was absolutely, unless we raise up a generation that can hold us accountable. And from there is how, why I started the American Phoenix foundation to recruit and train young, um, undercover journalist. And so for years through my nonprofit, we would, we would train young people to go undercover. And some of the, my best journalists that would come through our training program, I would put undercover in the institutional left. I just think that's fantastic because you had seen the opportunity to raise up a new generation of journalists. And so that's the foundation then that allows you now to step into Project Veritas, I assume. Exactly. So, you know, I've, um, you know, I have experience running a nonprofit, um, running, you know, large teams of young people. My husband and I owned a political consulting firm after um, the American Phoenix Foundation, and we had um, about 450 people, mostly college students working for us doing uh, door to door um, campaigns. We were knocking 75,000 doors in Texas. Um during the 2015 election cycle or 2014 election cycle. A lot of the, what project Veritas has been, has been kind of a gotcha type approach, um, pretty intense clip grabs. That James would kind of lead. I'm not always in favor of it because it lacks some of the deeper context. And, and I'm, I'm not in, in at all disagreement with the idea of how the methods of how they got there, but we sometimes lack some of the deeper depth behind some of the stories and some of the people that are selected, though they have a good voice, sometimes lack the, the depth of reach into these senior levels of, of whether they truly reflect the senior levels of management. The latest piece you came out with, which was with Ashley Biden, it's just a great example to me of this solid, what I would say, investigative journalism. And even undercover. I mean, you've pulled together un unrefutable documentation. You even have her on on tape giving her her soft-handed threat to you with the Secret Service and a variety of other things. Is that kind of the direction you're going? Or are you going to be going maintaining kind of the direction you were before? No, we're absolutely going to go um, deeper deeper dives in every way. Um, my my biggest regret with how we did the acorn investigation and is we didn't go up the chain and so there the 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 right wing movement got you know they're like oh well just they they're racist and they just want to hurt lower level staff 
Um, but if you have the discipline to chase information up the chain, follow the money, um, embed deeper into something, um, then you get the real story. You get a real, you know, the real state of play and it becomes irrefutable. And you can actually say, no, I'm going after systems. I'm going after institutions. I'm exposing things at the deepest level. And, um, and that's what we need, right? That's what, that's what people are longing for, you know, and you shouldn't, I don't think we should go into journalism to, to change the world, but with journalism and with good investigative journalism, you should always be going to that core truth. Like, is that, is that the real state of play? What is the, that ultimate, um, the seed, right? The kernel. Like it's like, look at a flower. You could just pull off a petal, right? But that's not the flower's entire identity. You have to really get deep down in there and examine it under a microscope um, to find the state of play. And people, when you when you get all the information you can and present it to people, to the public, they can make their own decisions on what needs to be done and how they need to interact with um, the powerful or with their community. But you got to feed them. You got to give them real information. Well, I, I just commend you for that because that's what's missing. Is that there's so much bias, obviously, in our media that's steering the the stories with an intended agenda rather than giving people the truth to make their own decisions. So, very powerful. This was somewhat of a trend in early on. I'm going to be very clear here, but um, with Vice News, they started out with a pretty interesting model before they became a billion dollar traded company on Wall Street. But they, they had these kind of the young citizen journalist model reaching into the millennial class, going places that no one would imagine them to getting into. They were much more entertainment than news, but nonetheless had some really solid orientation to trying to get into the root of the story. That would seem like a direction in the way you're describing it is kind of where you may be able to go or you are. Is that possible or is that something you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're going to we're going to see a lot more um long form in-depth reporting, all sorts of styles of investigative reporting um combined to present something that is um gripping, easily digestible and and thorough. And um it's always um been my dream to have like a um a no holds barred vice if that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Where because we're a nonprofit and we depend on on donations, um, we are not beholden to advert advertisers, right? So we don't have to bow and kiss anyone's ring once someone gives us a donation and takes their tax write off. So long as we're following the mission, and that's a our unique um, edge. Absolutely. That's huge. It really is. Now, you, your father is a, is a pastor, right? He is, yes. He's a non-denominational preacher. Yeah, I understand he's quite a firebrand. I'm hoping to get him on the show. Talk a little bit about that in your formation as, as you grow up, because that seems to be, I mean, that from what I'm hearing, I'm, I'm getting this from our mutual friend, Pete Chambers. I think he calls him the hatchet preacher or something like that. Um, Tomahawk preacher, I think it is. Tomahawk preacher, that's his nickname amongst special forces guys. Yep. So give me a, just tell us a little bit about that, the importance of that in your life, because that's that's a really cool story. 
Yeah. You know, my dad, my dad and mom both um, became Christians when they were in college. They both have very radical backgrounds and, you know, troubled teen type um, upbringings. And when they, they had, I guess my mom was like 21, 22 when they had me. So um, they're very young, very young hearted. And they have this kind of rebellious wild side um, to them. And, and yet their, their lives were completely transformed by um, the grace of God freed them from, you know, my, my father from addictions and, and all sorts of other things. And, um, they always raised me to, uh, who cares about religion or putting on a show, be real, be true. Um, it's your heart that's transformed internally by, by the love and blood of Jesus and, um, and, and take no prisoners, right? Walk in your, walk in, in your authority. Don't, don't be passive, be courageous, be bold as a lion. And, you know, they just really just, um, put my sister and I in the word at a young age and all the like Bible stories are, they're full of victory, right? It's all these uncommon characters with profound weaknesses or faults who, despite the odds surrounding them, are victorious. And so that that's a huge part of my worldview and why I can stay steady in the storm, no matter what's being thrown at, at me. And it's also why I love leading young people is, is helping them work through and get through those pressures, the pressures of life. And when you're taking on institutions and you're trying to expose corruption or find areas where um, powerful people have been breaking the law or pulling the wool over an entire population's eyes based off of their lies and desire for personal power. When you're taking those things on, I mean, it's like, that's like throwing rocks at Pandora's box. And so you have to be girded up and strong and courageous um, to, to take it on and to not only survive, but to take them down. Well, you're doing all this as a full-time mother and a wife and managing being a CEO and still maintaining your training. Talk about time management and what all that demands, because that's pretty impressive, Hannah. Well, I will say I am getting a lot less hours of sleep per night. <laughs> <laughs> My, uh, yeah, I've, um, I've had a really great time actually, um, with my children throughout all of this is they, um, they think mommy is a superhero now and they are so excited that mommy takes on bad guys and has a team to help her take on bad guys. So it's been, um, it's been nice to have their support and them understanding, um, what I do and I include them in what I do and they get to watch the news stories and they've met the project Veritas team and everyone's been so gracious, um, with me in this transition, but yeah, I am a homeschool mom. My, my oldest son is eight years old. I have a six-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. And, um, it's the homeschooling that has given me a lot of that flexibility and made time management easier. And, um, you know, every now and then people hear a dog bark or a kid yell on a phone call, but that's okay. That's awesome. So are you, you're able to work then somewhat remote, not just always at the office. I take it. 
Yeah, I do. I'm I'm traveling quite a bit. I'm up in the office um, as much as I can be. And then, um, you know, home is between uh, Virginia and Texas. Well, let's kind of talk about, let's go to this Ashley Biden story. It's really fascinating. You, you had talked in this piece when you released it, that it was, you went through a lot of maturations in talking about, I think, the ethics and also the legality of releasing that piece. Walk us through that process a bit. It it was, there must have been quite a bit more than just what you put in the clip because that seemed like a fairly long delay for you be able to be able to acquire the material to ultimately release it into what you were comfortable with as a solid journalistic piece. You know, um, Project Veritas has had all of that content from the beginning. All of that happened before my time. And I don't know why James chose not to publish that information at the time. I understand why he chose not to publish the diary. You know, I understand, um, and and I I haven't um, gotten to talk to him in depth on why he didn't publish the diary, but I get that publishing someone's diary is uh, very personal and intimate. Um, but but James, the bottom line is James chose not to publish those two recordings that we published. Now he's, they've been in, um, Project Veritas has been in, I guess, two years with the Southern District of New York and the DOJ filing criminal charges against our journalist. And, you know, the FBI raids that you saw, they, in the FBI took um, 47 different devices. No one was arrested, Um, but, it is odd to me that he didn't didn't publish Ashley saying, yes, that's my diary. And he did go out on the news and say, well, we can't confirm it was her diary. And, um, you know, and the same. The other thing is that voicemail of the, the tip that came in, the Southern District of New York is is arguing that the diary was stolen. But it wasn't. And so that that voicemail, the original voicemail left on the Project Veritas tip line saying, Hey, I found this diary. Do you want it? I mean that 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 fundamentally changes the case. And we even have the ACLU defending James O'Keefe and Spencer Meads and Eric Cochran and um and one of our lawyers that are in um that case. They're being investigated criminally. We've spent millions of dollars um paying for the legal bills there. And um, those recordings fundamentally change the narrative on the case. And it's clearly First Amendment. It's not some stolen diary BS. It was a tip um, that we re- that Project Veritas received and that's it. And we confirmed it was her diary by Ashley herself. Well, it's a powerful piece. It really is. And I think it sets, for me, when I saw it, 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 there was a deviation from, like I mentioned earlier, from the past style, and it's kind of giving us a direction into the new way. You also, at the recent, uh, it was a freedom rally you were at, you had your whistleblowers on stage. Let's talk a little bit about your process with whistleblowers and how, if that program is going to continue and, and how you're going to work with that. 
Yes, we absolutely are continuing our insider and whistleblower program, not only into three-letter agencies, but also um, into major corporations. And usually how it works is, is someone that is fed up, that's tried everything that they know how to in process, um, will reach out to us through our tip line and you know give their background, give their position and... Um, what's not passing the sniff test for them or what they're seeing as, you know, blatant abuse or um, like in the case of Tara Rodas, you know, the trafficking of children, the government facilitating trafficking of children. Um, when, And then we have people that specialize in developing those insiders and determining whether they will uh, just supply information or whether they will come forward and actually testify and bring evidence forward that can be published. And um, that's a hard journey. And there's a lot to lose by someone, especially someone that's um, inside a three-letter agency coming forward and blowing the whistle or um, uh, being a source of information that they have a lot to lose. They do, and there's a lot of resources that can be thrown at them if people don't understand. Yes, and we're in, um, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna give a plug, projectveritas.com slash donate, but we are a small nonprofit that has um, been going through crisis this year, and, and we cannot go up against the full force of the federal government or major corporations like Pfizer and others that we've exposed in the past. Um, we can't we can't sustain that unless major players in this country decide, hey, this is worth it. Yes, I want to see more stories like this. Yes, I want to support this um, because their funding is unlimited and they have all the time in the world. And so when, you know, they they're trying to de-incentivize the truth, de-incentivize people coming forward and telling their stories and calling foul on on things and, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that I love and trust inside of the federal government, and I believe they have the best intentions. But when you have systems that have grown to the size that our um, three-letter agencies have, without the proper checks and balances, you know it's it's just a perfect setup for corruption, and um, there's because there's no accountability, and so the only accountability you have now is the press. Which you end up being one of the only ones, other than the you know, the citizen journalist army, well, just kind of it's grown out here. You are one of the few, I, I think you're the only one that's dedicated to the depth of, of investigative journalism you're doing. If it's the war room or myself, there's more of personal research and then echoing other ne- other research. But you guys are getting into the ground truth and the raw research that I don't think anybody else is doing. Yep. No, you're you're exactly right. And we're taking on um, so much risk to do that. And it would be a shame for an organization like ours to to fold up um, because the donors in this country, the high net worth individuals who say that they love um, freedom and want to stand for the truth and expose corruption, um, don't pony up. Every other news outlet has gotten rid of their investigative units because it's 
expensive, risky, and takes a long time to develop a good story. It definitely does. In fact, when I entered into the pathway of journalism, which was back in 2005, I was led towards photojournalism because it was still the last remaining true investigative aspect that was functioning in, in the mainstream media. By the time I left Afghanistan in 2007 for my first tour over there as a citizen journalist, most agencies have had cut away all of their photojournalist staff. So for the most part, most of this has been outsourced. I don't even think people realize it, but most of the investigative journalism, be it photo or written, has been outsourced or completely cut out of the main dialogue uh, since about 2007. So it's pretty, it's pretty brutal. Right. Yeah. And, and, and what we do now it, with our, you know, our, like the, the mainstream media, the legacy media, um, all the different blogs, we just regurgitate talking points that are forced fed to us. And how can we say it differently? Or what's the, what's the angle on, on this, or what's the angle on that? And, you know, how can we get someone to click on this by making this title sexier, edgier than the other one? And it's like, how about you do a little bit of work and change the game? Like I fundamentally reject how news is done in this world right now. And, and so it's going, we're going against the grain. We're fighting against all odds to, to get like, Hey, there's, there's a lot more going on that people need to know about that people need to be thinking about how, where, where do we insert and how can we tell that story? So how do you how do you determine where you're going to go? Because you're balancing a very interesting walk here. You have on one hand, you're trying to maintain the integrity of your of your organization. You don't have the dependency on advertisers, but you also have the the donors that are need to be to a certain degree. And I don't mean this in any degrading way, but they need to be fed because they need to be bringing in the resources you need. So how are you how are you deciding what stories to do and how to walk that difficult line? Yeah, so we have we have our you know our tips that come in, and then we have our um, our field ops guys and um, and our production team that in our you know communications department. And so once we've verified that hey, this is this could be a really cool story, like all the evidence are there. These the the person delivering the tip is reliable has credibility the information's good then then it goes into you know an analytical phase right where the where the different teams look and say okay here's how we can make a story not only here's how we here's how the good information that needs to be exposed or here's the here's the person that is the um you know the the key person on this story but then how do we make it creative? And then how do we make it um, digestible, right? And so there's this a process between all of our departments and our teams, and it's um, you know constantly being improved, but it's very, very thorough and very well done. And it's kind of our, our um, own home recipe, I guess you could say, for what we deliver. So what drives the topic of the stories? I think that's really fascinating to me because you obviously have whistleblowers that are coming out. You have other, there's a there's an infinite number of these types of investigative stories that one could do. 
So are you are you geographically centered? Are you topically centered? Or is it just as the whatever stories you're coming in, you're starting to vet them as what has the greatest strength? So there's a few different theories on this. There's there's the things that are in the news right now, right? And that everyone is um, uh, checking and paying attention or wants to know more about, right? But once, in my opinion, once something like fully hits the news, it's already it's already done. Um, and so I don't want to just constantly be chasing news cycles. I would rather determine and set the stage for an entire news cycle. So I think what you're going to see and what you're asking from us is um, we're going to you're going to see more stories from us on child sex trafficking, uh, border work. Um, we have some big pharma stories. You know, James's narrative saying oh, you know, PV was was possibly bought out by Pfizer. That's why all this came out. That's, that's BS. We weren't. And we've got multiple investigations into um, big pharma that are currently ongoing, and we'll be publishing those soon. And, um, you know, and we've got stories on uh, gender modification hormones and um, the the migrant crisis, housing the migrants and K through 12 education. Those are all areas that we've been intensely focusing on this spring and summer, and we'll continue to to focus on. Those are all major areas that affect Americans' way of life. Your original passion prior to this, the current position was to develop a new generation of investigative journalists. I know we've talked offline about this. Are you able to talk more about that right now? I am so committed to that and committed to to more investigative journalism. And at our J schools across the United States, uh, they don't have like a degree in investigative journalism. I don't think they do. I mean, they teach you some un- like investigative techniques, but the actual like undercover investigative journalism and elicitation of responses and all that um, is not something that is um, well-established or necessarily approved of in American J schools. And so I would love to see Project Veritas um, have a, um, like an academy type arm where people can come to us um, for training or where our, some of our senior reporters or investigators can um, help others know how to do this kind of work in their local communities. That I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say this and, and you can comment however you wish, but I think it's important for people to hear that you and I share this ex- exact view and we're doing it through Operation Vineyard, which is to establish research and information cells in every single county. And I, and I want people to hear that I'm in complete support of what you're doing. And it's my hope that as we've continued to talk, we can build a partnership in that to build a Project Veritas framework that will be able to guide each one of these counties to develop strong investigative teams in every county that not only can tell local stories, but then can filter up and have the framework that you can use for broader stories. Yep, exactly. And, you know, I, um, you look at CNN, Fox News, um, MSNBC, some of these like really big news organizations, and it's that 
top-down broadcasting of information, right? And it's kind of like the same thing with Washington, D.C. All the powerful people in Washington, D.C., in their little bubble, are telling the American people how to live, what to do, how things are going to be. Where what if it was bottom-up information flows and, you know, the bottom-up uh, chain of command. And so what I like about what you're doing is let's let the local people feed the national conversation. And there's so much um, corruption in these in in cities and towns all across the United States. There's no shortage of content that can be found. People just need to know what to do and how to do it and have the support, um, you know, from from others to make sure that no one gets um, dragged through court or gets shut down. I feel strongly we can, but just your opinion. Do you feel that we can set up an architecture on this that can simplify or at least uh, strengthen the vetting process when we get a local story that then can be pulled into a, a broader and more impactive national story that's coming out of your group? Yeah, that would be epic. We should definitely have a conversation about that. <laughs> We're, we're going to. <laughs> yeah, we can't. We can't publish that. Someone will no, kill it. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's. A, I think that's a really important piece. I think what we're the term that I'm using lately is surveil the surveillance state, which is to flip the script and take it back to we the people. You know, I think that in the United States, the citizen has so much more power and authority than we are um, walking in. Right. And what other what country in the world are, do we have a chance for a legal, peaceful revolution or a legal, peaceful government overthrow every two years? Right. But we don't we don't utilize that. And so I think the American people are um, disenchanted, disenfranchised, frustrated, and they know that things aren't quite right, but they don't know what to do about it. And they don't trust our election systems. Elections are one thing that we really focus on. We have um, people, we've covered voter fraud for um, a decade plus at Project Veritas. And, um, you know, just showing the truth of what's going on so that they can make the most informed decisions about their lives, which includes who they vote for. And, um, and the other thing is the press is if you do vote for someone and, you know, I don't care who you vote for and and they're not doing what they say or you sense that there's some uh, shadiness going on. That's what journalism's for is to hold those people accountable. I I actually don't vote. Um, I didn't want that to ever affect my journalism and I wanted to be able to um, investigate whomever was in office and have a, you know, a healthy skepticism without, a, you know, an interest. I think that's solid. I really do. And that's a, that's noble position. So as we kind of wrap this up, you're balancing a lot of things in your life. You're seeing some of the worst things out there. You're building an organization by virtue of, of the themes that you've given us. It's even going, going into the darker side of our society and the bowels of some of this corruption. And you remain hopeful and optimistic, and which kind of loops us back to where we began, that jujitsu fighter. What do you say to people when we're looking at this daunting 
monster and that you're, that you're looking at slaying that quite frankly, everybody should be a part of slaying? You know, it's, it's never give up. And I, Winston Churchill has a great quote on that and never, never, never give up. <laughs> um, I'll tell a quick story. I'll tell two quick stories, jujitsu stories. Um, when I was like 14 years old, and again, I'm five one, um, 14 years old, I'd been doing jujitsu for two years. My instructor put me with a black belt and he's a big man and he'd been fighting for his entire life, um, senior level black belt. And he said, fight him. And my 14 year old self is like, I have all the skills I need to fight this man. This is going to be easy. And I go make the grip and I'm getting ready to take this guy down. And I'm full of confidence that I can do it, that I can fight this man. He, that man grabs me, yanks my hands off of his lapels and he throws me against the wall as hard as he can. And I hit that wall and collapsed on the floor and I'm, and I had to make a decision in that moment. Do I, I was so embarrassed. Do I cry and sit here and give up and go whine to mommy? Or do I get up, charge him and take him down and, and keep fighting? I decided to charge the guy. And you know what I learned from that moment on? Never let go. When you're in the fight, never let go, never give up. The next jujitsu story was one day I walk into a private class. I thought I was having a private class with my teacher. I walk into this room there. It's padded walls on three sides and the room is full of people, other like high level belts. And there's a man in there, like 300 pound muscular, uh, professional fighter standing in the, in, in the middle of the room. And my teacher says, take him down. I spent it, it was embarrassing, but I spent several minutes trying to figure out how to take down this guy. He, he wasn't allowed to fight back or anything at the moment. He was just standing there in base, um, refusing to let me take him down. I, I eventually figured out how to take him down. And then he was allowed to go as hard as possible on and fight me. And, um, I ended up submitting him. So that's the attitude you have to have when you're taking on a monster like exposing corruption in the United States of America in 2023. Those are good stories. <laughs> right to my heart. I love them. Before we close with a prayer, I want people to know where they can help support Project Veritas and all your web information or wherever you want to share. Yeah. So our, um, our website is projectveritas.com. And if you go to projectveritas.com slash donate, you can click the red button and and donate um, whatever whatever you feel is right. Please do it. We're we're recovering and rebuilding. So um, projectveritas.com/slash/donate. Anything would help at this moment, and we're eternally grateful. And we, you know, I still have a team of about forty people over at Project Veritas that are continuing the good work. Can people? Get on a subscribe donate where they can donate each month, like a regular amount. Yep. You can do uh um, you know, reoccurring donations are are possible and those are amazing for us. And and then people can do um, you know, single time single donations or large donations. And um, you know, you'll get a personal call from me or one of our team um when you when new donors arrive. So we look forward to all the new relationships that are gonna form 
because of your show, Scott. Awesome. Yeah. Check out the website, look through our content. We have a new website launching soon. People will enjoy it. All right. We will. I want to, I'll just have to get on your alerts so that I can push them out when you get a story, which would be great. Yeah. Join our mailing list. If you, if you join our email list, the content will go straight to your inbox um, at the moment that it's released and Twitter is where we're posting things first. So there's been, you know, several news outlets that have republished our stories or done reporting on the impact of our stories. But the best way to get the good content is straight from our website, projectveritas.com. That's awesome. We always close with a prayer. And if it's okay with you, I'll do a prayer. Yes, sir. Father, God, I just want to thank you for again, just this constant reminder of what it takes to be a warrior. And here we have Hannah Giles, who has literally just typified the entire spirit of being a warrior to never quit, to never bow, to never give in. And we just ask for the blessings to continue on her and all the Project Veritas, and that these words today can inspire the hearts of the many to realize that we can overcome, that the, the giants can be subdued, that we all have those few rocks in our in our pouch to take down the Goliaths, and it just takes the heart of of Jesus to lead us. And so, in these in this time, Father, when there is so much going on and so much chaos, these words we're just completely blessed with today to continue to remind us of the strength that's within us and the strength that we have as we stand boldly on the rock of faith, faith and face evil relentlessly with never bowing, understanding truly that through you all things are possible. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Absolutely. Thank you, Hannah. It's a fantastic interview today. Really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm anxious to continue our conversations offline. And you're always welcome here. Just so I say that anytime you'd like to come on, if you have a story you're breaking or something, uh, doors open always. Sure thing. Yeah, I would really like that. Thank you. Awesome. Well, have a blessed day. You too. God bless. All right, Patriots, that was Hannah Giles. Awesome. CEO of Project Veritas. And I'm just totally energized to see where they're going. If you are so inclined, head on over there and, and give them a donate to help them through these times as they kind of get reset on their feet. She's had a pretty difficult week. She's had to downsize some of her staff this week. It's not been easy. But they're surviving, and we need to make sure they survive. Because this is, a, this is really an asset in this war that we need. And the experience that they have and the, the knowledge that they have on how to do good investigative journalist, journalism, they're preserving. As you heard, most J schools, otherwise known as journalism schools, don't even teach it anymore because they don't think it's a good thing. You don't want to question the narrative. You know that. But Operation Veritas pushes the window of narrative and hold, helps hold people accountable. And as I said, there is, uh, there is some ongoing work that we're going to continue to work together and find a way to support one another in the ways ahead in training future investigative teams. And so my vision is, as you know, and I'll talk much more about this, um, my vision is that we will have those trained at a county-by-county county level. And by the way, Hannah's going to be at Bards Fest, just so you know. So you'll get a chance to meet her in person, hear her stories, and so forth. So it should be pretty good. And and all of that's great. So, Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, 
I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. 
we become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.